What's going on, Monarch Nation? This is episode five. Can't believe it's been five episodes. Episode five of the Leo's House Party podcast, and we're thrilled to be back at you a little bit later in the week. Uh, we're trying to get you guys one episode per week as you know things start to get a little bit more busy around here, which is great, and that's what we're excited about. We're going to talk about that a little bit is the arrival of students on campus and uh, first classes starting and, and the community kind of getting back to normal, seeing each other and, and being safe in the way that things have been a little bit different on campus, of course, but it's still great to see, uh, you know, campus is lively. It's it's great seeing everybody distancing and uh, keeping their masks on and washing their hands. And I think the, the things that have been put in a place to keep everybody safe so far, you start to see them have been fantastic when they're on campus. And, uh, you know, kudos, kudos to the administration here at the college for a lot of the preparation that's gone into keeping everybody safe and keeping everybody here. You know, the more I talk to our student athletes as I see them around campus and you know, ask them how they're doing and how they think things have gone. And they say, you know, things are actually pretty good right now. And the last thing they always say to me is just don't send us home, please. Um, and I think a lot of that's just going to come from the community is, is the safer that we are and the more, you know, procedures that we abide by, then the safer it will be. And today, Joanne uh, Kosick, who's the Director of Student Health Services here at King, sent out her first weekly COVID update. And as of right now, we only have one confirmed positive case on campus, um, which is great. And, you know, think about having everyone come back to campus from all over the state, you know, out of state. You know, King's has student-athletes from all over the place, you know, down in Florida, California, um, so all over the country, and to come back and only have one confirmed positive case on campus is uh, is great. So, you know, I think that's a good start for the college. And, you know, again, we I, I think that the procedures that have gone into place, and they did a really nice job uh, handing out the return to campus guide, which is also online. Uh, if you want to get to that, go to kings.edu. And you can check that out if you're a parent at home or a student that wants to take a look at it. But um, just a, a student guide for returning to campus. And it goes over all sorts of different things like expect, ex expectations and guidelines, uh, your personal responsibility, symptoms, monitoring requirements, uh, safety practices, mental health tips, and uh, just living on campus with this. And I think it's been a uh, it's been really great to see all of the combined efforts from everybody um, with signage on pardon me, with signage on campus. And uh, I think everyone's just starting to kind of get used to what we're dealing with right now. It's it, it's inconvenient, but this is the way that we have to go about it so that we can be around each other and um, still get an education. And then at some point, getting back to normalcy as things start to ease up, hopefully here, um, you know, soon. And, you know, there's always talk about uh, vaccines and, and that coming uh, down the pipeline, maybe later in October, November, December, you know, as we approach the new year, uh, I'm sure there's lots of people that are ready for 21 to get here. But, uh, you know, I think the impact of, you know, what COVID has had on our campus, um, but then seeing, you know, the preparation that people have done over the summer to make it safe for our Kings community to come back and just how committed they are uh, to the health and well-being of everybody on campus has been great. So, i uh, got a PAX, a PAX show for you today. Um, three guests, um, th kind of from different uh, eras, different um, backgrounds. First, Amy Kowalczyk, who is an athletic trainer here at King's, uh, 2016 graduate of uh, the college in athletic training. 
Also got her master's at East Strasburg, and she's back here as an athletic trainer, trainer, uh, former softball player as well. Got a chance to speak with her earlier in the week. Um, also last week, got a chance to talk to uh, 1999 graduate Brian Compton, who's now the uh, uh, editing or deputy editor at the NHL.com. And he covers the New York Islanders. So we got a chance to talk a little hockey with him and just his experience here at Kings um, back in the late 90s. And then we'll finish up today with an interview we had a couple weeks back. Didn't get a chance to get to it last week. Um, but, you know, it was a really, really long interview and a really great talk with uh, Dave McHugh from D3Hoops.com, who, you know, we just sat and really talked basketball for, you know, about 25 minutes uh, about, you know, how the landscape is going to be different, how he sees things kind of going this year. And then, uh, you know, just some great memories that he's had about covering the, the D3 level. So really, really engaging stuff, really entertaining stuff there from Dave, and we were, we were excited to get him on. So. Uh, I guess first now we'll go ahead and uh, get to our first guest again, Amy Kowalczyk um, from Athletic Training here at Kings. Uh, talked a little bit about her experiences, um, what she went through as an AT major, balancing softball with athletic training, and then just kind of what she loves uh, about the job now. So we'll go ahead and send it on over to Amy Kowalczyk here on the Leo's House Party podcast. Uh, we're thrilled to have a current member of our staff with us today. She's been a Monarch uh, as a student athlete as well. She was a two-year captain of the King softball team where she was voted All-Mac twice, as well as serving on the Student Athlete Advisory Committee here at King's. She was a member and secretary of the King's Sports Medicine Society and graduated from King's Cum Laude with an athletic training degree. She then got her Master's of Athletic Training at East Stroudsburg, where she was a GA for athletic training with the field hockey and softball teams. Now she's been working at King's as an athletic trainer and also served as a certified athletic trainer at Geisinger. Let's welcome to the Leo's House Party podcast, Amy Kowalczyk. Hi. Um, so first of all, you know, I'd just love to hear how um, you kind of first found King's out of high school and what you uh, what made you want to go into athletic training. Um, so I found King's because both of my athletic trainers at my high school went through the King's, well, my one high school athletic trainer went through the King's program. And then the other athletic trainer that came in after her, she knew a lot of people that went through the athletic training program at King's. And it was very reputable and very well known. So I spoke to them about it, kind of had an interest in it at first, but wasn't sure. And then I kind of shattered them and realized this was one of my passions in life. So I chose to go to King's just for the athletic training program. And I had the ability to play softball as well. Yeah, I mean, when you were here, uh, you know, what about the athletic training major at Kings made it so easy for you to both play softball, but then also really um, prepare for that real world practicing later in life, you know, in the field? So the faculty was very understanding about the requirements to be an athletic trainer and to be a student athlete. They worked with you to get your clinical hours. My coach always worked with me, Lisa Gigliello. She was great about it. So just the team effort between everybody, constant communication with me and my preceptors and my teachers just to make it work and time manager time management wise really set it straight. Amy, you know, when uh, you're in the athletic training program, obviously there's just so many levels to that. Um, you know, how was, you know, the transitioning from like first to second to third and then your fourth year, um, how did it really set you up to, you know, you know, kind of be ready to just practice right out of, uh, right out of college? Each year challenged you differently at Kings. Um, sophomore year was really the foundation. Um, freshman year was kind of the intro to it, but sophomore year was definitely the foundation of being an athletic trainer. Um, come junior year, you're really learning all the hands-on stuff. 
Um, that's probably the, one of the most important years to actually practice as an athletic trainer. And then senior year kind of just wraps it up. So they really prepare you in the clinical scenarios they put you through, the clinical hours, and then especially all the other opportunities they have outside of the program that they offer from the different uh, clinical sites, so the high schools and the other colleges that you can go to. So they give you a vast amount of experience before you're able to even graduate. Yeah, I mean, always see uh, some of the student athletes or students just everywhere, like out at you know high schools and different colleges. Mm -hmm. They're really uh, really broad the experience that they uh, they get there in that program. So I guess you were a two-year captain and stand out on the softball team uh, with Coach Lisa, as you said. You know, without getting us into too much trouble, give us uh, some of your best memories from being a King softballer. I have so many. Um, so definitely senior year, it was one of the most memorable years just with my two fellow classmates. So Rachel Linzo, Shelby Evie, just going through the whole four years with them. Um, I think sophomore year was another memorable moment for me. I love the team. We went pretty far that year. It was just a fun environment to be around. Um, junior year had a whole new face of people on the team we graduate a lot of people from sophomore year. So junior year was also a ton of fun. I mean, we were picked sixth in the conference and we were able to fight back to get into playoffs and we hosted playoffs. So it's awesome to experience it all. I couldn't even pick one scenario or situation from my four years of playing. There's just so many. Um, so during obviously this, this tough, uh, you know, situation that everybody is in during COVID, um, you actually had a chance to volunteer, uh, at the local hospital, helping out with the COVID unit. I know you can't go too much into detail, but just how was that experience for you? Um, so it gave, gave me a different perspective in the healthcare field. I mean, we all are healthcare workers as athletic trainers. Mm -hmm. So being in the ER setting was definitely a lot different than being in the athletic training room at King's. So just to be able to collaborate and work with other healthcare professionals was definitely a cool thing to experience. Um, got to learn a bunch of things they did on their side of the healthcare profession. So it was just awesome to intermingle with everybody and give back as we could. Um, as a sports information director, I know the long hours that you all put, you know, put in, uh, not just during games, but before and after practices. Um, you know, it's such a demanding profession, but also demanding major, you know. So, you know, what about, you know, caring for student athletes really gets you going and makes you love what you do? Um, when I was looking for jobs, I was applying everywhere I could. That seemed interesting for me. But there was always something about Division III. Um, athletes at Division III, they're playing for the love of the game. They're not playing for a scholarship or any kind of perks, really. Um, it's just all about the love of the game. So I like to work in this division just because you get to see the athlete's passion. You get to help them rehabilitate back to their new normal better than before even. So it's nice to just have that connection and that relationship with those athletes to be able to pursue the sport they love and be a part of their journey. Um, so, you know, when you're not at work, which, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that's not a ton of the time, but like when you're not at work, you know, what are you doing around the area to just kind of kick back, relax and maybe shut your mind off a little bit? So I did not think I was ever going to get into running after playing sports, but the first year I was out of college, so my grad school year, I actually found running to be ther very therapeutic for myself. So surprisingly, I love to run outside of here, but I also do love to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. So either I'm working out, watching Netflix, hanging out with my family, my boyfriend, 
I just got a puppy, so that's gonna be my whole life right now, trying to train her. You're like the third guest that just said they got a puppy uh, that we've talked to. <laughs> so it seems to be like the thing. Yeah. Um, so you said you've been uh, watching some Netflix. Any shows you want to throw out to our listeners uh, to check out? So I am obsessed with Selling Sunset. It's so reality TV, but it's my guilty pleasure. So I highly recommend that one if you love the drama. Okay, I haven't actually heard of that before, so I'll have to check that out. So, um, Amy, last question for you. Now, you've been around the Wilkes-Barre area now uh, for a while. And so, you know, what's your go-to place to eat when you are tr- just trying to grab something uh, to eat on? Jerry's Pizza, 100% Jerry's Pizza. Jerry's Pizza. So you're a Jerry's yeah. person, not a not Yeah, an I grew up in South Wilkes-Barre, so I'm faithful to Jerry's. Okay, well, there you go. I, that that <laughs> argument is, you know, long as time, it seems like, with Jerry's. And yeah. Andrew, so, um, well. There's very difference between there's a huge difference between Jerry's and Angelo's. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, I, I, it's funny because you either fall on one side or the other, and so people listening might not know, but there's this huge rivalry between Jerry's Pizza and Angelo's. But uh, you got to come on and decide for yourself, I guess. But uh, Amy's yeah. gonna say it's Jerry's. But mm-hmm. um, so Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you know, we're really excited to hopefully at some point get back out on the. Uh, the fields competing and I know what you and, and you know, the other athletic trainers do here at Kings is just so valuable to uh, keeping our student athletes safe and then you know unfortunately if they do have an injury getting them back uh, out on the fields and the court so thank you so much for for the work that you put in and thanks for your time today. Thank you for all that you do and thank you for having me today. A special thanks to Amy Kowalczyk for joining us on the Leo's House Party podcast. It was a treat to talk to her. Um, just one of the many uh, former graduates of athletic training here at King's that is now a um, working here on campus. She's not. Uh, we see that a lot across campus where graduates continue to work here in the uh, at the school. So it's it's great. It was great to talk to her and, and her experiences, and I'm sure that we'll see her uh, on the sidelines uh, whenever it is safe to be back out there competing. So. Uh, thanks to Amy again. Um, some news that came out this past week um, from Division Three and the NCA was uh, the administrative committee recommending that there be no competition in the fall term. And obviously here at Kings, we had already decided that that was going to be something that wasn't in our cards. Um, but there were still still some schools around the NCA that were planning and still plan to play some a limited schedule, or even you know some games here and there in the fall as they uh, could find um, opponents. You know, there was, I think, only about 18% of Division Three hadn't already canceled their entire fall semester uh, for athletics, at least competition athletics. Um, and so the, the administrative committee recommended that member schools not compete in the fall term to avoid potential health, uh, you know, and safety risks. I want to quote um, what um, Tori Merton McClure, who I, I've quoted before here, the chair of the President's Council, and she's the President Spalding. Uh, she said, any competition this term in the current environment will increase the health and safety risks of not only our student athletes, but also coaches, staff, and ca- campus communities. Uh, we have concerns of the potential health care cost exposure for member institutions if a student athlete contracts COVID-19 through athletically related activities. Today's actions will help ensure that member schools and student athletes make an informed decision regarding these issues. So along with that, I think that's important that, you know, they're recommending that no schools uh, compete. And I don't know if it's from a competitive standpoint or anything like that. I really don't think there's any competitive advantage of competing. 
I think they're just looking out to say, I don't think this is the right climate to have competition. And since there are member schools that are still thinking about doing it, and they felt that it was prudent to go ahead and send that that out. They also took two other relevant directives from the Board of Go uh, Governors. One was the committee ad adopted non-controversial legislation effective immediately that institutions may not require student-athletes to waive their legal rights regarding COVID-19 as a condition of participating in athletics. And it also clarified that for this academic year, all full-time enrolled student-athletes who opt out so if a student athlete decides not to engage in any activity during or after the first contest, we get two semesters or a three-quarter extension on their uh, clock or their playing career if they decide to use that. So not different pretty much than the blanket waiver that they had already announced. Just a little clarification uh, with that. And that was put out um, back on the 21st of so August 21st. So about five days ago as uh, we record this. But again, more legislation from the NCAA just trying to make sure that the well, uh, the well-being of our student athletes at this level is uh, taken care of. And, you know, we've talked multiple times here on this podcast about what the NCAA has gone uh, gone through. And we, you know, we had an opportunity to talk to Dan Dutcher last week and he really let us know about, you know, how painstaking it has been to make these decisions uh, through the Board of Governors and the Administrative Committee and uh, the President's Council and all those um, groups, you know, and he really said that canceling seasons and championships is the last resort. And I mean, he was very adamant about that when we, we chatted um, uh, a couple weeks ago. And, he, you know, he said that the two hardest times, two hardest days in his career is when he canceled both last year's spring sports and winter championships. And, um, also the fall championships this year. I mean, these are decisions that are not made lightly, and uh, but there are tough decisions. And with this climate, it's great to see that there are some decisions being made out there and making hard decisions. Sometimes there are governing bodies that don't wanna make a tough decision and um, just allow the member schools to just make their call, make the call. Um, and, you know, I think that kind of puts you in a tough situation if you're a school. Uh, plus, you might not have anybody to play. We see it right now with the PIAA that some schools in the area here are deciding not to play in the fall. Carbondale um, being one of which I just off the top of my head has said they are not playing fall sports and they are not revisiting the uh, issue. They're just, you know, scorched earth on that. They are out. Um, some other schools that have already suspended sports, um, Hanover area, off, you know, just off the top of my head, I think uh, Scranton Prep also just announced that they were um, going to um, suspend athletics um, for right now. And so it makes it a little bit harder for some of these schools in the area to get games. But it was good that the NCAA is really just trying to push forward that there's no advantage in trying to play this fall. Let's make sure that everyone's safe, healthy, and then hopefully uh, we can get back out there here in the in the spring. And hopefully, well, you know, here in the fall, we can still train. It's been great to see our student athletes in the gym, uh, you know, shooting basketballs and, uh, you know, lifting uh, safely and um, even some volleyball going on and, and some other stuff. Um, so trying to be safe while, you know, still exercising and, and preparing themselves to compete when it uh, becomes safe to do so. So uh, I think now would be a good time to send it on over to our second guest of this week's uh, Leo's House Party podcast. And, uh, this is a guy who uh, you know went to Kings back in the late 90s and now is working for NHL.com 
and covering the New York Islanders who are just steamrolling right now through the playoffs. And um, so it was really good to talk to him. Um, he's been working around the Islanders for a long time now. And uh, so it was great to just get his perspective on what it's like to cover an NHL team. Some of the you know people here on campus that were really influential to him and just kind of how he got to where he is today. So uh, now it'd be a good time to send it on over to Brian Compton, class of 1999, here on the Leo's House Party podcast. Well, we're thrilled to have uh, another alumni here on the Leo's House Party podcast. Uh, this former monarch uh, has been the deputy managing editor of NHL.com for the last 13 years, covering hockey in the NYC area, but mostly the New York Islanders. Before that, he was a beat writer and sports editor at the Trentonian and also has served as a sports editor and reporter at the, at the Southampton Press and New York Post, a communications and journalism major uh, while he was at King's and a graduate in 1999. We'd love to welcome to the Leo's House Party podcast, Brian Compton. So um, I guess, first of all, you know, before we get into uh, the hockey, I just want to take you back to 1994 and 1995 and just how you got, you know, made your way to yeah, my uh, my older sister, she's two years older than me. She visited Kings uh, when she was looking around at school. She ended up going to Scranton. But my mom, who was with her for the visit, she kind of put Kings in her back pocket. She thought it'd be a good spot for me. Um, I was more of a I needed that you know intimate environment, fifteen to twenty student kind of kind of a deal instead of a a large lecture. I don't think I would have thrived in in that kind of environment. So uh, when we went to visit, I, I loved it and. Uh, some of the best years of my life for sure. Yeah, you know, you were part of that communications program, which has been so successful here at King's. I think one of our best programs, um, if you, you know, talk to people around campus, uh, you know, what was your experience like and how did that set you up for kind of what you're doing now? It was great. Um, Doc Musari, uh, rest in peace. I know he passed away a couple of years ago. He and I had a great relationship. Um, he and, and Joe Plummer and Jane Kleiner, there was just so many really, really good teachers who genuinely cared about their students, you know, and um, it was just a great situation. And working for the Crown since my freshman year, uh, I was sports editor as a sophomore, uh, co-editor-in-chief at towards the end. It was just a lot of fun, really good people that I got to work with. Um, even the, the, my colleagues in the, in the communications department, my fellow students, they were all really, really special people. I got to see a few of them. Uh, last fall for, for our 20 reunion is a lot of fun and, uh, just great memories. That's great. Yeah. Um, you know, it's great that the crown's still going and it's still thriving on campus and, uh, I'll have to go back and check out some of your stuff now that I, <laughs> I know you're on that. So, um, you know, obviously it's a really busy time for you right now with the playoffs going on and, it, you know, just, I guess, how difficult was it for you with, uh, during the quarantine with like just so much uncertainty? Yeah, it was tough just because we didn't know what was going to happen with our season. Were they going to cancel it? How long is this? I mean, the pandemic's still going. Fortunately, New York is doing really, really well. Um, everybody's wearing a mask and, um, you know, doing their social distance and everything else. But um, from our perspective, we had no idea until probably, I want to say June. We had a clue until June. So um, it was just a really tough time for everybody. Um, you know, people are losing their jobs left and right. It's just a really horrible situation. But fortunately for us, uh, the league kept everybody on board and they've done a remarkable job. I know I'm biased when I say this, but <laughs> they've done a really, really remarkable job in the bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton. No positive tests over, I think it's been three weeks now. So it's great. 
Yeah, you talk about the teams being in the bubble, Brian. You know, has it been harder for you for coverage? Because normally you're sitting in the arena in the actual at the place a lot of the times. But has it been harder for you to get coverage? And how are NHL teams going about getting information to you so that you can put it out, you know, online? Yeah, covering games hasn't changed all that much. Uh, you can't really see plays develop the same, so that's a bit of a challenge. The, the biggest challenge trying to cover this series and, and every other series that's going to follow here is you don't get that player access in the locker room. You don't get to stray away from you know where the, where the whole contingent is as opposed to sometimes I'll, I'll walk away and I'll talk to somebody else one-on-one -on -one for five to ten minutes. You don't get that access, right? So that's very difficult. Um, but the league's done a great job with Zooms uh, pregame and postgame to get guys to talk to us. And the coaches talked every day. So that makes things pretty easy for us. Um, you focus mainly on the Islanders who are moving on into the second round after a 4-1 drubbing of my caps. Um, <laughs> I guess, you know, I would love to hear, like, how did you get, you know, were, were the Islanders a team that you were really interested in or, or that you grew up following? And how did you kind of get onto that beat once you uh, joined NHL.com? Yeah, my dad covered them for the Daily News uh, the third and fourth cup years. So he would take me to practice when I was five, six years old. So even then, even back then, Jamie, I knew I wasn't going to be a pro athlete when I grew up. So I thought that would be the next best thing and uh, really just followed in his footsteps. I interned, uh, he worked at the Post towards the end of his career, and I interned there uh, my senior year at Kings. And, uh, you know, I just got along with the sports editor. I did everything I could to keep keep my name in his memory while I was a senior and I was just fortunate enough somebody had quit probably three weeks before graduation and he called me and said I have a, I have a clerk job if you want it and I started three days after I graduated so it just all worked out for me. Well, that's fantastic. Um, we're here with Brian Compton from uh, NHL.com and former a former Monarch. And uh, Brian, uh, obviously during your time with, you know, working in uh, hockey, I'm sure you've met some pretty amazing people during your time. You know, can you give us just maybe a few players or coaches that you've really just enjoyed covering? Oh, man. Uh, well, going back to my days in the ECHL when I covered Trenton, Mike Havlin was, was their coach when they won the Kelly Cup in 2005. We've been really good friends ever since then um he's now the head coach at colorado college he but he won the, uh, the stanley cup with chicago as an assistant in 2010 so that was a really cool moment because i covered that series and i was on the ice with him afterwards when they were celebrating and just talking to him and he thanked me for everything i did for him like mike i didn't do anything this is all you buddy you know good for you and um you know things have really worked out for him uh barry trotz who's now obviously like the, the islanders head coach he's a really really special person you can just tell that he's a really good guy um, and then from a player's perspective, Jamie, I mean, the Islanders are really finally starting to turn the corner here. I've been covering them for about 10 years. Uh, the start of it, things weren't going very well. But the one thing that they always got right was um, just the quality of person that they would have in their locker room, going back to guys like Travis Hamanick, uh, Matt Martin, who's here now, uh, Josh Bailey, Andrews Lee, the list goes on and on. Really, really, really good people who make my job as easy as possible. You know, watching uh, the, you know, that team from afar, you know, being I lived in New York for a while and having a chance to watch lots of Islanders games as a Cavs fan, always felt like that team was always very tight. And when you bring in someone like Barry Trotz, who, I mean, obviously he was a cup winner with the Caps and seeing what he did with that culture. I mean, it's, it's really exciting to see what he's doing with the Islanders right now. Um, so I, I guess, you know. Right now with the Islanders, how far do you see them going? Obviously now into the second round, oh, um, we're not sure who they're going to be playing, but, I mean, how far do you think this team can go? Yeah, that's the thing. We don't know who they're playing at because they don't match up well with the Bruins at all. I don't know if they can beat Boston, um, but I do think that they can beat Philly. They have been so good five on five. I mean, it's really ridiculous how good they are just shutting shutting down the offense. Even last night, the cap season's on the line, and 
uh, you know, they held them to what, 20, 21 shots. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous what they're doing. So um, it really, I think, hinges on the opponent here. I don't know if they can get past Boston, but um, it's nothing against Philly, but they did go 3-0 and against them during the regular season. The Flyers have a really good team. Carter Hart's going to be a really good goalie in this league for a long time. Uh, but I think if the Islanders stick to their identity here, it could be a really fun summer for fans. Yeah, I think the Metro is going to be just a, a great conf or a great division to watch over the next, you know, five years. Maybe yeah. the Caps taking some steps back with getting a little older, but like with the Rangers getting better, the Islanders look uh, like, you know, they're they're young, they're still exciting, and, you know, even Carolina. So it's 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 a good time to be a, a Metro fan right, uh, uh, right now. So I guess the last question for you, Brian, is, uh, you know, if there's any advice you could give to maybe some present Monarchs that are looking to break into a field of interest like like you did after graduation, you know, what would it be? Don't take no for an answer and don't, don't think that you can't do it. Um, I'm proof of it. I wasn't the greatest high school student. Kings took a chance on me. I'm hoping that I'm paying them back in the best way possible here. Um, you got to believe in yourself and you got to, even if, if, if you're a writer like myself at your age, guys, you got to write for free if you have to, just to get your name out there uh, to as many people as possible. You never know who's going to see it. And if you're good, they're going to notice. Well, Brian, we really appreciate you joining us this morning. Obviously, a real busy time for you, but it was a pleasure to speak with you. Um, I hope the Isles can continue this run for you here in the playoffs. Uh, you know, it's been exciting. So, uh, but we'll have to catch back up with you, um, you know, down the road. Anytime, Jamie. Thanks for having me, buddy. All the best. A big thank you to Brian Compton from NHL.com and 1999 graduate here of King's College for joining us on Leo's on the Leo's House Party podcast. Um, his uh, Islanders, I wouldn't say his Islanders, but the Islanders, the team he covers, uh, quick work of the Caps, and then uh, took that first game against the Flyers. Uh, and I they actually think they might have already played game two by the time you hear this. So, uh, But they were already up one nothing after that 4-0 uh, win over the Flyers. And good call on him. He said, I think the matchup against the Flyers was a good matchup for him. And so far, it seems like uh, he might have been right about that. So um, I wanted to take a look about uh, at the NBA. We're going to talk basketball with Dave McHugh here in a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the NBA basketball uh, bubble has, has really delivered. Um, you know, we talked about the WNBA, uh, you know, the basketball just over there has been fantastic. But, I, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit of NBA playoffs and um, some things that I thought were pretty intriguing. And, you know, first on the list was, you know, right out of the gate, both number one seeds um, lose their first game. You know, the Lakers go down um, and then uh, to the Trailblazers and then the uh, Bucks lose to the Magic and just kind of right out of the gate, you know, and um, it's, you know, that's just kind of the parody that the NBA, but also in this bubble, you just don't know. And so, you know, that was interesting, uh, you know, since then the, the two number one seeds have kind of taken over and, and, and righted the ship a little bit, but, you know, the playoffs have been pretty exciting. And um, I mean, what can you say about Giannis? I mean, the guy is just unstoppable. I mean, LeBron has been great too, but um, the, those first games, uh, the Magic, you know, really got a 12 point win over the Bucks, and uh, the Lakers look kind of out of it. And then, you know, they've kind of righted the ship again. So that, you know, that was something I thought was pretty interesting. Also, just how good the Raptors have looked. And, you know, I think the Raptors got this, um, the stigma of being a more defensive team. They have played pretty solid defense. They held the Nets to under 100 points twice in that series, but uh, they scored over 130 points twice, 150 in that in that um, game to to sweep the series. But what a job that Nick Nurse has done with that team after a championship. Kawhi leaves, and they still end up getting 
um, you know, that first round sweep over the Nets, and we'll see who they end up getting here in the second round. But uh, you know, a lot of credit to the second seeded Raptors, who are still are starting to make a claim that they are still the best team in the East, and um, you know, the play of you know all those guys. I mean, getting up, the people off the bench like Norman Powell and Serge Ibaka have been fantastic. I mean, it's just a such a deep team for the Raptors. Um, not even talking about, um, you know, Lowry or any of those other guys. Um, Van Fleet, um, have, you know, and that team is super deep. So um, on the other side of the ball, like just what a letdown by the Sixers. Uh, you know, I know this is kind of a Philly area here in northeast Pennsylvania, but the Sixers get swept by the Celts. And, um, you know, obviously tough without Ben Simmons, but uh, Brett Brown is immediately fired right after that series. And um, the Sixers just you know, couldn't score. Um, you have guys like Tobias Harris that really just didn't shoot the ball very well. They didn't get a ton of, uh, you know, production outside of Embiid, really. And, um, you know, I, I think the process really just didn't kind of come together um, how they really wanted it to. So, you know, obviously injuries hurt uh, hurt the Sixers, but and it hurt kind of the chance of Brett Brown sticking around. So uh, Celtics move on in that series. And, you know, in the other series in the Heat, I mean, how about the in, in, in the East? How about the Heat um, can win games by scoring? Uh, they've got great depth. That's a team that I think in a couple couple of years could be very good. I think they've got one of the best big men in the, in the NBA, and um, Adebayo, and um, you know, just a good squad. I mean, they can score 125 points to beat you. They can score 99 to beat you. Um, they defend extremely well. And uh, they've got guys like Duncan Robinson, former D3 player, and um, get to him in the, in the pod, and when we were talking to Dave as well. Uh, but, you know, really just you know, kind of locked up the Pacers, couldn't do much, and, um, you know, the Heat picked up the sweep. So, you know, three sweeps in the, in the East, really, you know, kind of dominant performances. And so we'll see how uh, the East stick, you know, kind of goes from here on out. In the West, uh, you know, Dame's doing as much as he can against the Lakers, but, you know, it looks like the Lakers going to move on. The two series that are really good so far is the Jazz and Nuggets. I mean, Jamal Murray, ugh, him and him and uh, uh, Mitchell have been just back and forth. I mean, that one game where they both scored 50, I mean, what a, <laughs> that was a fun game to watch. And then you've got the Mavs and, and Clippers and, you know, Doncic, Single-handedly trying to keep him, his team in the, in that series. I think the Clippers, you know, pull away and, and win that series. But the Nuggets right now up three-two on the Jazz, and uh, excuse me, the Jazz up three-two on the Nuggets. And then in the other series, it's two-two. So you know, kind of two different sides. The East a little bit more one-sided. The West, you've got some really competitive um, series with the Rockets and Thunder. Um, Thunder, just I think people sleep on how good the Thunder really are. I mean, they, I mean. Gilgis Alexander, a really good player. Um, Dort has has kind of you know really put put uh, the gloves there on um, on Harden. It's fun to watch that matchup. I mean, just one of the best scores in the league against a guy who he really loves to defend, and you, you don't see that a ton anymore in, in the NBA game. So uh, that's a great matchup to watch. Uh, Rockets win the first two. Thunder come back win the next two, and uh, we'll see where that season uh, series goes. Best of three uh, kind of coming up here over the next couple days, but should be an exciting, um, you know, rest of the playoffs, but certainly a, a really fun first, uh, 
first round here, especially in the West. So we'll see what ends up happening. But continuing the basketball uh, talk, we're going to go ahead and send it over to our third and final guest of this week's Leo's House Party podcast, uh, a guy that's been covering basketball at the D3 level for he, over 20 years now. Um, he went to a Division three school. He's been around it for a long time. Uh, just somebody who's going to be as knowledgeable about the game, both on the men's and women's side, as it possibly gets. Um, so it was a pleasure to bring on Dave McHugh from D3Hoops.com. And we'll go ahead and send them on over to him now on the Leo's House Party Podcast. Well, what a throw this today uh, to have one. I'd, I'd say the preeminent voice on Division Three basketball with us today. He's a graduate of Goucher College. He's been part of the creative team at D3Sports.com for, I guess, what's coming up on you know 20 years now, it seems like, creating the only talk show dedicated to Division Three basketball, Hoopsville. He also created a, a, the show YD3 Show in September 2014, shining light on student-athletes, coaches, and teams uh, without, within the division. He's a broadcaster, director, producer, host, among many other things, and we'd love to welcome to our the Leo's House Party podcast, Dave McHugh. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, so first of all, Dave, obviously um, it's been a tough, you know, six, seven months here, you know, with everything going on. Um, just wanted to get your overall take on how you think the President's Council and the Management Council has handled everything with the, the COVID crisis, as, you know, at the Division Three level. Yeah, I think they've handled it as best as, as can be expected. Um, could the decision have happened sooner? Sure. I mean, we can always hem and haw over that. But, you know, I think they gave it as much time as one, the whole NCAA was going to have. I think at one point there was a thought that the entire NCAA was going to speak with one voice. And when that became less and less clear or less and less apparent, uh, I think Division Three decided, okay, enough. This is going to be our decision. And to be honest with you, even if the Board of Governors had, had said, yeah, we're going to move forward, I think Division Three was going to pull the plug. So um, I think Division Three, we had had, point where we didn't have enough schools who are going to be participating to be blunt right um and so you just can't have championships and then instead of saying hey you know we'll postpone no they just said canceled and i think that was a smart decision as well i think they're fully aware that if they gave an opening in the in the spring it was going to be a very unfair opening for a lot of schools there are schools who, who we'll probably get to it later but there are schools who just can't handle trying to to do everything in the spring so i think it was I think they've done what they could. I think there was a lot of hope, um, let's say in June, for just a random date, that things would be good enough to to move forward, even if things were restricted. Yeah, that it would be a good enough moment to be able to move forward and have the championships and, and control things and whatnot. And I think since that point, things started becoming came un, unraveled to some degree. So. Um, yeah, I, th- I think they did as best as could be done considering the circumstances. Uh, they're they're just the last ones in the line who finally had to make that decision because they're always the last ones in the line by design to make right. that decision. Yeah, Dave, you, I mean, you dropped your Midsummer Podcast episode uh, on of Hoopsville yesterday, so head yeah. on over and check that out. Finally. For followers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what was the overall feeling from your guests on this show about everything? Like, how, how are they holding up and how are they, you know, communicating to – their, you know, to their constituents and their teams. Yeah, we had Philip Ponder on from Oglethorpe, men's basketball coach. We had J- uh, Jason Fine, athletics director at Bates, who's on the management council to be chair in January, and also Gordon Mann from D3 Hoops. Um, I think, I think there's mixed feelings. Mm-hmm. I think if you talk to individuals, especially them, but anybody I talk to, 
deep down there's this there's this disappointment and this um feeling of guh you know i can't believe we're in this situation we really thought we could get out of this or not get out of it. That's not even the right term, but we could be doing something for our student athletes. And it's about the student athletes that they care about. It's not the coach in the grand scheme of things. Yes. We've got coaches who, who want to be out on the court and, or on the field or whatever, and, and competing as much as their student athletes, but they feel bad for the men and women that they have on their campus and on their teams who, who are losing seasons essentially. Right. When it's all said and done in 2020, we will have not had any NCAA championships, if you think yeah. about it, because winter sports got pulled the weekend some of those championships were to be crowned. Exactly. And some, you know, shortly thereafter. All of spring got pulled, and now all of fall have gotten pulled. The next championship won't be until 2021. The last one, if memory serves correctly, was the 2019 Stag Bowl. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of people out there, and I think my guests are among them, who wished – we hadn't gotten to this point. And Jason Fine talks about the fact he had 10 plans figuring ah, at worst we're throwing eight or nine of these out. And he said, I've thrown all 10 out. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm constantly starting over and not because the virus has been um, maybe different or mutated or changed or whatever the, the it's because we haven't. And, and, and I think that's the frustration. And then the other thing that's huge in division three, we run from Maine to California. Right. You know, Washington down to, to the Carolinas, there are a lot of different schools and a lot of different circumstances and a lot of different places. And it, and it makes for um, more complicated than it becomes easier. Yeah, absolutely. I think you bring up a good point there, Dave, is that, you know, the, uh, just the way some schools are in the, uh, you know, looking at a uh, Bowdoin, for instance, is going to be mm -hmm. different than what an NC Wesleyan might be doing. So like those schools Absolutely. have such a different profile that it's hard to make blanket decisions for everybody. So totally a, a really good point there. You know, with most, most conferences and schools not going to, you know, moving everything to winter uh, from the winter to starting in the second semester, you know, how do you think that changes the way the season ultimately ends up going, assuming that it eventually does get going? If we're talking specifically basketball, you're, I think you've got one of three, to make it simple, one of three options on the table. You've got on the table, everything's normal, but everybody or majority of people will start late. I think there will be some. If nothing has changed, there will be some who will try and pull something off in November. I saw uh, some women's team was looking in the, in the central part of the country, was looking to fill its um it's basketball tournament in november and i remember thinking to my, and this was just recently and i remember thinking to myself mm, good luck with that yeah. um i think there will be some if we don't change anything who will try and do that mm -hmm. and will continue their seasons normal and i mean that on the schedule side not not on their schedule what i mean on our calendar side and then there will be a whole bunch who will hopefully start in january this is let's just say all things you know, going forward are okay at this point. No further decisions need to be made. With, you know, the regular season ending at the end of February and the championship happening uh, late March and as we normally would have. But as a result, a lot of schools will only have had a very small section of time to play games. They'll only be conference games. They may get 50% in, which is now the minimum, thankfully. Mm -hmm. I thought that's where um, President's Council, Management Council, everybody else has done a tremendous job of adjusting things, saying, okay, you know what? Let's just make this simple. If you play 50% of your games, then your season will count towards everything. And that's, that's the big picture and the small picture. The small picture being towards your championships, the big picture counting your sponsorships towards 
NCAA membership. So that's a nice blanket statement. 50% is also the waiver for um, uh, student athletes to get their year back. Great. Very simple decisions there. I thought those are tremendous. So that's what we could have. That's that's the one if nothing changes. But as a result, we're going to have NCAA tournament teams who are, I don't know, 20 and 5 and NCAA tournament teams who are 14 and 2. Right. And, and, or you're going to have seven and seven teams because they ended up going on a run at the end and, and winning their NCAA, their conference championship. Right. And it's going to be hodgepodgey. And we don't want that, but that might be, if nothing changes, how it looks. The second option is that everybody starts in January mm-hmm. and that nothing changes. And we have a six-week sprint, all conference-based, which some conferences you won't play everybody. You won't even come close to it. And now we're heading into the, into the tournament. I, you know, well, we'll get to the, my, the thought I had there in a second. And, and it's chaos. I don't want to even chaos, but just confusion. Right. Now, who is the best team in the country? How do you bracket? Well, it's going to be bracketed regionally. The third option being what we talked about on my show, there's this plan that's out there that's not necessarily in front of the NCAA yet, but I'm, I'm sure it will be soon, where we shift everything. And we say, okay, we start in January. But now we won't end the regular season until the end of March, beginning of April. Mm. And then we play our NCAA tournament. As a result, you'll lose about a month of the season because you'll lose some of your preseason and you lose a chunk on the, on the back end of the season as well. But you also gain time at the end too. So you kind of give and you take. So basically everybody comes back January 1-ish. You practice. You start playing January 15th. Uh, you play games until the end of March which that way you can get in maybe about 20 games. Some schools may try to aim higher. Right. Uh, and then you play your postseason and you have at least a little bit more of a normal season. So those are the three options I see out there. What are we heading towards? I, I have no idea right now. Talk to me tomorrow. I might have a different opinion on this. Um, I like the January idea, but I know there's challenges with that. There's a lot of pros and cons to it, a lot of cons, especially what it does for schools. Yeah. Um, one of the, for example, the, the amount of student athletes, especially with the spring that would be going then in March can be a, a, you know, a little bit detrimental to schools. Well, one idea that the, the coach says, is, okay, we normally say one day off for student athletes. Let's make it two. Let's right. take an extra day off the burden. And at the same time, our, our student athletes, our coaching staffs, et cetera, can help our schools try and facilitate everything that's going on. So at least there's that kind of thinking. Will it happen? I, I have, I have no idea. Because we're here in August right now. And the fact that I don't know if we're starting practices in two months and starting the season in three months, let alone six, is mind-blowing to me. Normally, August, I'm sitting there going, all right, yeah, I got, I got a couple months to get ready. And that, those couple months will be over. And I'll be like, ah, where'd the time go? Right now, I'm going to be wondering, when are we starting? Yeah, you know, that answered that question. (laughs) You know, as an SID, I think it's, you know, we're kind of ramping back into things right now. You know, right now would be the time that football teams are coming back and uh, you're really starting to kind of get that coverage going. And and we just don't know uh, what's going to end up happening. You know, I think you bring up a really good point is those six weeks, you know, or that six to seven weeks where you have those January plan. I mean, it could be really exciting, but you know, you could be really putting on some, uh, if it goes any longer, it goes into March, people, administration and, and staff can be really stretched thin. But, you know, it's something I think at this level, you know, the staffs would be willing to do and excited to do. Um, yeah, I'm, 
I'll be honest with you, I'm torn on that. Um, let's look at the even bigger picture here. There's a lot of conferences, a lot of schools that have promised that they're going to move their fall sports to the spring. Now, understand the caveat here. I want all your, your listeners to understand the caveat of 50%. If a team and a student athlete being on that team hasn't decided not, you know, has decided to play, but whether they play or not, the 50% of games, once they hit that mark, that blanket waiver is gone. gone right. So the student athletes use up the eligibility. Mm-hmm. And so I think that 50% mark is the magic number. And I think you've seen a few things here. One, there's been a lot of talk. There's been a lot of, we're looking to the spring. I won't say promises because I don't think anybody's promised spring, but they certainly have alluded that they will move fall sports to spring. Right. Let's be blunt. Let's say you're a football school, which you guys certainly are, right. and you also have lacrosse. Yep. You also had soccer in the fall, right? Yeah. You probably had field hockey for some of those in the Northeast and some scattered around the country. So now you've got primarily one field. Maybe you're lucky enough to have a second just for games. Mm-hmm. You're going to pull off men's, women's lacrosse, football, men's and women's soccer, maybe additional field hockey, all at the same time in a very small window. And, and hopefully you don't normally get snow yeah. because you're not going to even get on those fields for a long period of time. Let's take Johns Hopkins as my favorite example. Everybody looks at Johns Hopkins, lots of money. It's a big school, huge endowment. Great. They have one field. Right. For men's and women's lacrosse, men's and women's soccer, field hockey, and football. One field. Yeah. That's it. By the way, lacrosse is king because it's a D1 program, and technically the two programs aren't supposed to be crossing. So lacrosse is going to take priority. Okay, so now you got to figure out a schedule where everybody plays games during the week. Everybody has practices during the week. What about locker room access? Johns Hopkins doesn't necessarily have a locker room for every single personnel or every single team uh, to use for the entire year. What about athletic trainers? What about sports information? What about game operations? You're putting a ton of weight on the spring and a ton of pressure on the spring to get everything accomplished. And we haven't talked about how the coronavirus may add on top of that, of making sure you're distanced, making sure you're cleaning, making sure we don't even have to get in the list. So let's just, that's the big picture. Now add winter shifting as well. Yes, indoor, I get it. But again, you still have the, the, the demand on sports information and on athletic trainers and on game day ops, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I would love to see it happen, but I'm also very realistic of the fact there's a lot of schools in Division Three. You talk about the Bowdens and the Johns Hopkins and all them with a ton of endowment. There are schools who are also trying to bear, just, just trying to keep their doors open. Mm-hmm. And this decision in the fall could hurt them, and trying to even pull off the spring could absolutely destroy them financially. So now you're looking at a very unbalanced division where you have the haves and the haves nots. So this is why, by the way, the management council, championship committee, and president's council all said canceled default yeah. championships. They didn't want to encourage that idea. So if we see anything in the in the spring. I think you're going to see max 50%. I think you see a couple schools trying to at least acknowledge their seniors, give them a couple football games, maybe give them a couple soccer games if they can. A couple, we didn't even talk about the volleyballs in all the world. Right. Um, they'll try and do that. The trick is, will they allow basketball to slide to dive into that spring with the final caveat, the spring athletes and a lot of the bas- uh, winter athletes, but a lot of the spring athletes lost their season last year. We move everything on top of them. 
you could argue they're losing their season again. So I, this is a very complicated situation. And as much as I agree with you, and I think it would be exciting, I know I would be busy. My wife would appreciate that. I would be working. Um, I'd have lots of things to go cover, lots of things to, to cause I, I do, I do broadcasting for a couple of small colleges. I, I'd certainly be busy this spring, but the, the bigger picture of this all is I don't, I don't know if that's fair to do to colleges or to student athletes or, I mean, there's a list of people that makes that probably a little bit more challenging than it seems slide basketball, slide ice hockey, slide, um, swimming and diving, et cetera wrestling yeah possibly open up the entire window which that would open gets a little scarier yeah you know Dave it's it's a good point I got got a question for you in terms of you know the NCAA lately has been trying to prioritize the health and safety of its student athletes they just have put out some releases about that allowing for an opt-out option as well you know do you think that's something that we'll see at this level we were already seeing at the division one level a little bit but you know with you know, different priorities, I would say, at this level for some of our student athletes. Do you think that's something we end up seeing? Yeah, I mean, let's look back at the spring when they put out the blanket waiver uh, for student athletes saying you can come back and mainly everybody was looking at it as your seniors. You can come back and complete your senior year. I mean, juniors, you can get a fourth year. Sophomores, you can get a fourth year. Yeah. You know, consider that. We haven't even talked about those athletes who basically will have three-year terms. A lot of student athletes, one, probably can't afford to spend another year in college just to make sure that they get their dreams of playing. And you're talking to a former student athlete, whether I look like it or not, who uh, who would <laughs> died to have had another year of of playing, but also knew it was time to move on to some degree, um, physically too. Um, they've got jobs lined up. They've got careers to go to. And they may not be able to afford to pay for college. Sure, D1, they're doing it because the scholarships are guaranteed. Well, to some degree, uh, there are some rules in place. And I don't want to dive in too much into D1 because I haven't been paying attention as much. But there is some rules in place of guaranteeing the scholarships if they take the, the opt out, which it sounds simple. People look at football and basketball. and go, Oh, yeah, the scholarship. Well, football and basketball, are the only ones that are guaranteed a full ride. Everybody else, it's split up um, uh, scholarships. So you might get a quarter scholarship. So you're going to have student athletes having to make the decision of whether they come back to college now, which is probably a decision on their health too. Then will they pick back up and be an athlete or do they already have a job on the horizon? Do they have a career on the horizon that precludes this from happening in the first place? Or can they just not afford it in in an economy that's tanking to begin with? So it's great. It's a nice option. You will certainly see some student athletes in division three take advantage of it. Don't get me wrong. But it will not become, I don't think, a norm in any way, shape, or form. Unfortunately, some of the great student-athletes of Division Three are going to go out without having played that final year we were all looking forward to because, to be blunt, they got better things to do. And I don't mean that as a knock at their athleticism or the teams, but what is the NCAA saying? You know, going pro in something other than sports? That's the truth in Division Three, is it not? Yeah. So, yeah, it's a great idea, and I and I think it needs to be there, but I don't think you're going to see it run rampant in the division. Yeah, I think a lot of our coaching staff here, when we've had meetings, have said that a lot of our athletes that are in the higher, you know, rigorous uh, academic uh, size, yeah. they're not going to be able to take time off, and so any athletic events that they can get in, 
you know, while they're there, they'd rather right. try to take advantage of it. That's so right. scheduling, you know, 10 to 12 field hockey games, for instance, would be uh, something they'd be interested in in the spring. Well, and that's, and that's where I think you see the one or two football games, like a home and home against somebody, or you might see uh, two or three soccer games or two or three field hockey games. I, I don't think you're going to see 10 to 12 because I think you're doing a disservice to the rest of your student athletes. You're, yeah. you're basically telling those who, who want to do it, they got to completely opt out of the year. Yeah. Because otherwise that 50% rule kicks in and they're, they're going to lose it. But, um, but again, we can also go back to, uh, back to my comments about the, the, the pressure that puts on, you know, cause remember <laughs> we're not playing outdoor sports in a majority of division three from January to May or February to May. We're playing them from maybe mid March yeah. to May, you know, yeah. <laughs> I listen, I, I played baseball in, in, in high school and I was in new England, uh, either Maine or Connecticut. And in Maine, the joke, I remember coming home one year from a, from a spring break with my parents and there was snow on the ground in mid-April. And I remember thinking to myself, geez, I want, you know, we had May and June at least at that point, right. but our entire season's got squeezed into six weeks. Well, uh, it, it's just, it's just not possible. And that's the other thing. You're just not going to see the numbers of games played like normal, but I think it's disingenuous for any coach or any administration to turn to their athletes and say, Hey, stay for another year. Yeah. when they're paying for it in some way, shape or form, whether their family are paying for it, whether they got to apply for more financial aid, whether they got to apply for more grants, whether they've got to somehow work some more hours to, to apply for a whole nother year. College is not cheap as we know it, even if it's the, the, the non sticker price, if it's the right. discounted price, it's still not cheap. Right. And as much as I want to see our student athletes uh, perform out there, college isn't going to be free for that extra year. So I think that's something that, um, people have to realize, and of course, you know, moving on to a career too. And if we all get older, <laughs> hey Dave, uh, I want to shift away from kind of what's going on at the moment, and just sure. you know, you've been part of some amazing moments at the Division Three level for you know for basketball. But yeah. you know, is there a moment or maybe an interview or a game that you've called or you've done that really sticks out for you as one that you is very memorable for? I mean, you've been around a, some a ton of them, so just anything. Yeah. Thanks for dating me. Um, <laughs> no. I look good for, for 30, don't I? Um, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things that stand out. My first Final Four in Division Three basketball, men's basketball, Salem Civic Center 2001, irony. My school's arch rival won the national championship, Catholic winning it. Uh, of course, my colleague, Pat Coleman's alma mater. Uh, so I got to witness that. I already knew the head coach, so I, I felt like I was connected to it, which mm -hmm. I think helped make that a passion. Uh, I, have, yeah, I have not missed a Final Four since. Awesome. Until this year. Thanks, coronavirus. Uh, we all missed it. Um, uh, there are so many great championships. Uh, Tantan Belenga for Virginia Wesleyan hitting a jumper at the top of the key uh, for a three to win it for Virginia Wesleyan. Um, William Stevens Point championship game, which went back and forth in the last minute. Stevens Point uh, hits a shot on a runner. Williams nearly hits the game winner, but it was only two tenths of a second. It wouldn't have counted anyway. Um, you can fast forward to seeing Duncan Robinson nearly win a championship for Williams in his freshman year head coach. And he ended up going elsewhere that year. And now look at where Duncan Robinson is. Um, it, it, I mean, geez, uh, so many championships, so many great games, so many great players, there's some, you know, Ben Strong, I called a game where he scored 51 points in a triple overtime game. I called it. Unfortunately, the top 10 game that followed in the Sweet 16 didn't live up to expectations, but then the bar just got raised 
significantly by Ben Strong and Jordan Snipes and what ended up being the last game for Lincoln in Division Three uh, basketball. Um, there's so many, uh, but then that 51 point game was eclipsed a couple of years ago by Francis, uh, who, who put up, what was it? 60, I think, uh, in the elite eight game, uh, yeah, which yeah, also yeah. went to overtime, just not triple. Um, and he takes Wheaton, Illinois, all the way to the, to the final four. Um, so many things in basketball, in soccer, I've had the honor of calling, um, four championships on the men's and women's side. Uh, unfortunately that, pulled this year but last year the final four was tremendous insane games across the board I've called women's lacrosse for the last uh, I think five out of six years it was or four out of five Uh, I've actually lost track because this May was supposed to count and that was a number I had stuck in my head Um, but some tremendous women's lacrosse games I've seen some tremendous men's lacrosse games you know being working at Stevenson and seeing two of the best teams in the country in Stevenson and Salisbury squaring off once or twice a year was always fun to watch. Um, there, I've actually seen a lot. I don't know if I could nail it down to one in terms of what I've seen on a court that has been so fun. But I think interview-wise, yeah, the, the list is long there. I've, I've had, I appreciate the fact that I've been able to interview Dan Dutcher, Vice President of Division Three, multiple times and consider him a friend that he would be willing to come on and just have an hour-long conversation. That may sound long, but we cover everything we can. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that some of the best coaches in Division Three, Glenn Robinson, Dave Hicks, and uh, et cetera, are a phone call away to have on the show means a lot to me. There was a point where we were doing this show <laughs> from a studio near me here, not in my own house, where I had a buddy of mine, and we sat there with the scores, and we're like, oh, yeah, let's uh, – all right, so so and so beat so and so and so and so beat so, and we read off scores for five minutes and thought that was a really good basketball show. Um, <laughs> it was a really bad basketball show, um, but Pat Coleman knew we took it seriously. It's gone from there. Um, when the show rejuvenated after a short t- time off, I will never forget the first night because I went to take a nap. I was working overnights at the time at a TV station. And I used to be a TV producer in local news and I was working overnights and I, ha- I went home, tried to take a nap, something I never did after this fact. And uh, I woke up and I had a bunch of voicemails. I'm like, what is going on? And it turns out Cabrini's men's basketball coach had basically been told by his president at the beginning of January, see ya, we'll let you coach out the year, but you're done after this. And I had John Zeke slammed into the show that night. We have more interviews than we do now, or we have more interviews now than we did then, so it was easy to move them into the show. Right. So we, we, we bring Hoopsville back after a, a short layoff, and the first story out of the gate is this major story of a significant basketball coach told by his president that he's not coming back for whatever political reasons were going on on Cabrini's right. campus. I don't remember the content, but I remember the segment, and I remember the show, and I remember how much that influenced Hoopsville's return and staying on the air and how much other people saw it as a result of that. I'll never forget that one for sure. I think that one will stand out more than even the first show we ever did. That feels more like the first show we ever did. Uh, And I'm just honored that we can keep doing it. We get so much support to do it. Uh, We need more support to be blunt um, because there's bills to be paid. We did a great fundraiser this last year and then coronavirus hit and guess, guess what? We upgraded the computer cause we had no choice, but we haven't been able to upgrade anything else. Right. We've had to pay the bills because, you know, all of a sudden I was out of work. So I am honored that we can continue doing it. And the memories have been amazing. Right. 
You know, Dave, I, I think I speak for a lot of people within the Division Three level. We really appreciate the work that you and Pat and, and Gordon and, and that your staff has done over the years and getting the name for Division Three out there. You mentioned some of those names. It takes me back having worked at, gone to Lynchburg College and worked at Lynchburg. And you talk about guys like Tom Tombalenga and, and – oh. Ben Strong and uh, you know Brandon. I dipped into the ODAC deep there, didn't I? Yeah, those those were the Virginia Wesleyan teams were really good. I mean, oh. Ben Strong was one of the best Division three players I've ever seen. I mean, just that those were some really really good teams, and and you know the depth at this level for the for the game of basketball is is incredible. Not only in men's on the men's side, but on the women's side. I remember seeing people like Megan Silva, Randolph Macon play, and oh. just amazing players. Uh, that have really you know, transformed their programs and uh, in the levels. So, well, we just came out with our second all-decade team, and, and talking to Gordon Mann on Hoopsville the other day, going through that list of just the last ten years of women's basketball players. Now, I didn't, I didn't do them enough service in, in my answers. Uh, I haven't. I've been to, uh, let's see, one women's Final Four and and a second, which counted, also had a championship and a second women's championship game, um, only because we split our duties um as a staff because the championships take place on the same weekend right um and so i'm at the men's side that's where i've been as i've said uh the women opened up in 2013 when the men were going to atlanta for their dual championship the calendar allowed us to get to to holland michigan and and hope to see that and then um uh, the other championship was when the women had the joint championship in indianapolis where sydney moss and thomas moore won the championship by the way the previous one in case you think i don't remember uh, that was DePaul winning the championship. Uh, Williams and Amherst faced off in the third round game. It's about the only time I saw the third round game mean something. Right. Yeah. When Williams and Amherst, about halfway through that game, he saw all the women looking at each other going, I'm not losing to them. And it was on. <laughs> right. um, but, and, and then again, Sidney Moss and, at Thomas Moore. But you look through that, 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 that all decade team, that's just the 10 years. And it's insane. I'm looking it up quickly because I don't want to screw up names, and I hope you don't mind, but Sydney Moss, Chelsea Swears, or Christopher Newport, Madison Temple, Thomas Moore, um, Melissa Toby at Montclair, and Chris Verkake, who's now Ratliff at Calvin. Those are just the first team. And we have five teams of names that you just sit there, and the second I think of them, I'm like, oh, I remember this. I remember that. How great were that, was that team? Or, man, that was a team that was good that just couldn't get over the hump. We've had some tremendous basketball players. And, and I think what it, and, and this will speak for the sport uh, across the, of all sports, I should say, there are really good student athletes in division three, really good student athletes who chose to go to division three over division one offers and over division two offers. Right. And I don't, and this is why I get passionate. I, I'm not passionate right now um, because we do have good student athletes who play tremendously good in their sports, who don't get the recognition they should be getting. And they're just as good as some of those, some of those, at the division one level. I'm not, I'm not crazy. Um, we don't get Duncan Robinson's all that often. And to be honest, Duncan Robinson is probably not in the NBA if he doesn't go to Michigan, if right. he doesn't get the strength training in the court and, and the extra year to become the player he has become, but he was just as dangerous a shooter. He just slashed more in division three. He just, right. he attacked the net more in division three. He doesn't do that as much in the NBA, but there's also the Devin Georges of mm -hmm. division three who went on to win six NBA championships, having never gone to a division one school right. you go to football there's a litany a litany of guys who played division three football who have made names for themselves mm. uh in in the nfl uh baseball certainly has its fair share of guys lacrosse is littered with division three guys at the pro ranks 
Uh, and I don't mean that lightly. The, the, if you don't see a guy drafted in the first round from a Division three school, that's a little bit of a surprise, to be yeah. honest. Um, and, and that's true in a lot of sports. Um, I think there was even a guy at Emory uh, swimming who was lined up to make the Olympics or something like that. So it's just because we're Division three, as you know, doesn't mean there aren't tremendous athletes. And I love talking about them and trying to shine the light on them as best, best, best I can. Yeah, Dave, last, I mean, I don't know if there's anybody as passionate about the level as, uh, you know, as you. I'm not passionate. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, obviously, right? Um, the last question for you, and this is a little bit of funny, uh, fun, but you're a Baltimore guy. And, yeah, uh, kind of. Uh, by by default, because I came here to college and I haven't found out how to get out of here. <laughs> are, you, are, you an, are you an Orioles fan? And if so, are they going to make the playoffs this year or what? <laughs> well, let me preface this by saying I grew up in Chicago. Okay. Until my and basically till I was eleven, and then my parents moved us to New England, uh, down East Maine, to be exact. So I am a diehard Cubs fan. Okay. Um, I hate saying I'm a Bears fan sometimes, but I am a Bears oh, fan, wow. a Hawks fan, and I really hate saying I'm a Bulls fan because I miss the days yeah. of the '90s. It was a different game then, though. I, I I don't think we need that kind of basketball either. But um, I am an Orioles fan by default because I covered them for so long. Uh, and with the work I do during baseball season, I certainly see them a lot, man. There, I said at the beginning of the year to some friends who thought I was crazy, I said, this is the kind of year that the Orioles could take advantage of. Right. They've got no names. They all, they all feel it's almost like the uh, major league, uh, movie Indians team. Not that management is against them, but it's a bunch of guys. No one knows who could right. absolutely go on a run. Um, I like Brandon Hyde. I think he's a great manager. I think he's undersung as a manager. Granted, it's a little unfair. I've seen him up close. I, I, I really can't discuss why I've seen him up close, but I've seen him up close, like sitting next to me mm-hmm. uh, uh, doing his job. And I think he's got a good staff around him. The, the trick is when the pressure comes on at the end of, the, of September in the run to the playoffs, can they make it? The advantage is Major League Baseball has made it easier to get in. The disadvantage is they're in the toughest division, period, in the AL East. The advantage is there's an extra spot available. So um, why not? I, sure, they can make it. Um, they, I think they've got as good a chance of making it as they, as they don't. And I know that's hedging my bets a little bit here. But if you had talked to Orioles fans um, a month ago, they would have told you, They'd maybe win 15 games. Maybe. They'd be at the bottom of the basement. Um, they'd be an embarrassment to watch. And yet, outside of a, a sweep against the Marlins, who had a week and a half off before playing, uh, the Orioles have been, have been pretty fun to watch. Uh, it's, been, it's been neat to see people kind of just take a, take a head turn and go, wait a minute, really? Yeah. We'll see what happens. I don't know. I think, I think it's fun. It's a little surreal. We're only playing 60 games. Right. Um, but uh, heck, they, they just took the Nationals to the woodshed, to be, to be blunt. 11 nothing in one game, beat them, came back to win the second one, and came back to win the third until a tarp malfunction. Yeah, but as a Cubs true. fan, I can't really get on their case because <laughs> thanks to the Cubs in 2014, there is a rule about the tarp not stopping a game. That's all because <laughs> of the Cubs. So I can't really get on the Nationals about that. Well, you know, Dave, we, we really appreciate it. You know, uh, thanks for coming on with us, you know, and you can hear Dave Sundays and Thursdays during the basketball season from seven to nine. Yeah. That's November. 
whenever that is this year. We haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> but um, make sure to log on to d3hoops.com. Uh, amazing resource for the game and then for the level, and then d3sports.com as well for uh, the all the sports around. And you get a lot of the uh, the big big news about the NCAA that comes kind of onto that web, that site. So again, Dave, thanks so much. You know, we'll, we'll, you'll have to get you up here to Wilkes-Barre at some point for some games. Uh, whenever that ends it's up. It's been being. a while. It's been yeah. a while. I used to call some games up there. I remember being at Kings football field a couple of times for games. I called one once. It's a great area up there. Uh, I've made some friends up there. I wouldn't mind getting back there. By the way, I know you had Dan Dutcher on this show, if memory serves. Uh, Dan and I were talking. I don't know if he brought this up or if you had him on or not, but we really like Frank's suits during the stag ball. Uh, the jacket, the suit jacket. Right. Mwah. Absolutely <laughs> perfect. <laughs> well, we'll ha- yeah, we- we're supposed to talk to Dave tomorrow, so we're really excited to have him on. And awesome. I'll, mention that, I'll-, I'll definitely mention that to him, so he'll, he'll get a kick out of that. But, you know, Dave, <laughs> thanks again so much for having uh, for coming on with us. And uh, we'll definitely catch up with you here soon. Yeah, thanks for the time. I appreciate you reaching out. Good luck. Uh, Hopefully we're talking sports soon. We're just going to have to kind of get through this in the meantime. Big thanks to Dave McHugh from D3Hoops.com for joining us here on the Leo's House Party podcast. We kind of got going there and went off on a little tangent for a while. But it was really great to talk to um, Dave, a guy I've known now for a long time. you know, going back almost uh, 10 years. So really, really appreciate him joining us to talk a little basketball, kind of his thoughts on how things might end up going here uh, this year and uh, more. So uh, fifth episode here of the Leo's House Party podcast over the last month and a half or so, it's it's been going really well. And we'd like to appreciate, uh, you know, th- say thanks for jo- uh, joining us here every week and tuning in. Um, I think we've gotten really good feedback. And so uh, as there are... Um, more opportunities for more guests to come on um please if you are an alum or someone that's you know interested in joining us here on the podcast please let me know uh send us send me an email and uh you know we'd love to talk to you and possibly get you on the show and and you know hear what your thoughts on king's athletics and in the college and how it has benefited you and i'm sure there's lots of alumni out there that just want to tell us what they're doing now, nowadays which is fine with me uh we're trying to reach out to all of the alums out there um, that want to um, get 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 connected back to the programs um, that they obviously held so close to them uh, when they were here, and you know connecting our alumni to our current students is going to be a priority um, in the coming months and years, and so we'd love to hear from you. Um, all programs doesn't matter what what sport you played, um, we want to hear from you. So if you're listening, uh, shoot me an email, Jamie Shagnon. That's J A M I E C H A G N O N at Kings.edu. And uh, we will get you involved uh, with something here on campus. Um, but, you know, so far we've had a ton of alumni here on this on this podcast and we want to get as many as we possibly can. So uh, thanks again to our three guests for joining us today. And uh, I think that will wrap us up. We hope that you guys have a great rest of your week. Labor Day is coming up here soon and make sure to keep staying safe. Uh, distance, socially distance, six feet apart. Uh, wear those masks, wash those hands and be courteous. Uh, say thank you when people do something nice for you. Uh, it goes a long way. Have a good one. Have a great day. You know, being let's let's continue to be considerate and nice of each other, and let's get through this 2020 so that 2021 is a much better year. Thanks a lot for tuning in, and you guys have a great one. Talk to you soon. Go Monarchs. The views and opinions by the host and guests of the Leo House Party podcast do not necessarily reflect or represent the views and opinions of King's College. 
The Leo House Party podcast is produced and presented by the King's College Sports Information Office. And any redistribution or reproduction of content in any form is strictly prohibited without express written consent of King's Athletics. Follow King's Athletics on social media at King's Monarchs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And also visit the online home of Monarch Athletics at kingscollegeathletics.com.